This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of tarsal navicular fractures from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Navicular fractures can be traumatic or stress fractures. With respect to traumatic navicular fractures, you can have navicular avulsion fractures, navicular tuberosity fractures, and navicular body fractures. The mechanism for navicular avulsion fractures is plantar flexion or eversion slash inversion and can involve the talonavicular or naviculocuneiform ligaments. The mechanism for navicular tuberosity fractures is eversion with simultaneous contraction of the posterior tibialis tendon. Keep in mind that navicular tuberosity fractures may represent an acute widening slash diastasis of an accessory navicular. The mechanism for navicular body fractures is axial loading. Navicular fractures can also be stress fractures, and the mechanism of injury is usually due to chronic overuse. This is often seen in athletes running on hard surfaces, and it's also common in baseball players. A navicular stress fracture is considered a high-risk injury due to risk of avascular necrosis. Again, a navicular stress fracture is considered a high-risk injury due to risk of avascular necrosis. The most common complications of a navicular stress fracture include delayed union and non-union. Spontaneous navicular avascular necrosis, otherwise known as Muller-Weiss syndrome, is a rare disease that can be seen in middle-aged adults with chronic midfoot pain. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. Specifically, we'll talk about articulations and biomechanics. The navicular bone articulates with the cuneiforms, cuboid, calcaneus, and talus. As far as the biomechanics, the navicular bone and its articulations play an important role in inversion and eversion biomechanics in motion. As far as the classification of tarsal navicular fractures, the one to know is the Sangiorzin classification of navicular body fractures, and this is based on the plane of the fracture and degree of comminution. And this classification system is divided into three types. Type 1 is a transverse fracture of the dorsal fragment that involves less than 50% of bone, and there is no associated deformity. Type 2 is an oblique fracture, usually from dorsal lateral to plantar medial, and these patients may have a forefoot adduction deformity. Type 3 is characterized by central or lateral comminution, and these patients may have a forefoot abduction deformity. As far as the presentation of tarsal navicular fractures, patients may have symptoms of vague midfoot pain and swelling. On physical exam, you may find midfoot swelling, tenderness to palpation of the midfoot, and usually these patients will have full range of motion of the ankle and subtalar joint. As far as imaging, tarsal navicular fractures may be difficult to see and are often missed on radiographs. Recommended views include an AP, a lateral, and an oblique 45-degree radiograph, which is best to visualize tuberosity fractures. A CT scan is more sensitive to identify fractures than radiographs, and an MRI will show signal intensity on the T2 image due to inflammation. As far as treatment of stress fractures, this can be done non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative management involves cast immobilization with no weight-bearing. This is indicated for any navicular stress fracture, regardless of type, as these can be initially treated with cast immobilization and non-weight-bearing for six to eight weeks with high rates of success. Operative options include open reduction and internal fixation, and this is indicated for high-level athletes, non-union of a navicular stress fracture, and failure of cast immobilization as well as non-weight-bearing. Treatment of traumatic fractures can also be non-operative or operative. 
Non-operative management includes cast immobilization with no weight bearing, and this is indicated for acute avulsion fractures, most tuberosity fractures, and minimally displaced type 1 and type 2 navicular body fractures. Operative options include fragment excision, open reduction and internal fixation, as well as ORIF followed by external fixation versus primary fusion. Fragment excision is indicated for avulsion fractures that fail to improve with non-operative modalities. It's also indicated for tuberosity fractures that went on to symptomatic non-union. Open reduction and internal fixation is indicated for avulsion fractures involving greater than 25% of the articular surface. It's also indicated for tuberosity fractures with greater than 5 millimeters of diastasis or large intraarticular fragments. Finally, open reduction and internal fixation is also indicated for displaced or intraarticular type 1 and type 2 navicular body fractures. The surgical technique for an open reduction and internal fixation involves the medial approach, which is used for type 1 and type 2 navicular body fractures. Open reduction and internal fixation followed by external fixation versus primary fusion is indicated for type 3 navicular body fractures as well as navicular avascular necrosis. As far as the surgical technique, remember that you must maintain lateral column length and you will perform fusion of the talonavicular and naviculocuneiform joints in navicular avascular necrosis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 19-year-old collegiate gymnast presents with right medial midfoot pain and swelling, which has become progressively worse throughout the competition season. Radiographs do not show evidence of acute fracture or dislocation. CT scan of the foot is performed, and the axial cuts demonstrate a stress fracture of the navicular. What is the next best step in management? And the choices are 1. Open reduction internal fixation. 2. Weight bearing is tolerated in a hard-soled shoe. 3. Weight bearing is tolerated in an air cast boot. 4. Partial weight bearing with cast immobilization. And 5. Non-weight bearing with cast immobilization. The correct answer to this question is 5. Non-weight bearing with cast immobilization. So the patient in the question stem has a tarsal navicular stress fracture and should be treated with cast immobilization and non-weight bearing. To quickly review, tarsal navicular stress fractures are often caused by chronic overuse, especially with repetitive activity. Clinical symptoms involve midfoot pain and swelling. Examination is usually notable for swelling and tenderness over the midfoot. Range of motion of the ankle and subtalar joints is usually intact. This injury is often missed on radiographs and is better demonstrated on CT, which will show a non-displaced fracture through the navicular. Management of a tarsal navicular stress fracture is non-weight-bearing with cast immobilization. Torg et al. performed a systematic review of tarsal navicular stress fracture studies to compare the outcomes of non-weight-bearing with cast immobilization versus surgical treatment. They found that there was no statistically significant difference between non-weight-bearing cast immobilization and surgery, but there was a trend favoring non-weight-bearing cast immobilization. Weight-bearing was shown to be significantly less effective than either non-weight-bearing cast immobilization or surgery. The authors recommend that non-weight-bearing cast immobilization should be the initial treatment of tarsal navicular stress fractures. Moving on to the next question. A 56-year-old male reports long-standing right midfoot pain. He denies any history of trauma. A lateral radiograph of the ankle demonstrates sclerosis of the navicular with abnormality of the talonavicular articulation. 
Sagittal T2-weighted MRI cuts demonstrate high signal within the navicular and disruption of the talonavicular joint. He has tried semi-rigid insoles for four months but continues to have pain. The decision is made to proceed with an arthrodesis. Which of the following joints should be fused in order to obtain the best possible outcome? And the choices are 1. Talonavicular joint only, 2. Talonavicular and naviculocuneiform joints, 3. Talonavicular and subtalar joints, 4. Naviculocuneiform and subtalar joints, and 5. Talonavicular, naviculocuneiform, and subtalar joints. The correct answer to this question is 2. Talonavicular and naviculocuneiform joints. So the patient in the question stem has avascular necrosis of the navicular bone, also known as Muller-Weiss syndrome. Surgical management should consist of arthrodesis of the talonavicular and naviculocuneiform joints. To quickly review, spontaneous osteonecrosis of the navicular is a rare disease with many considering it related to Kohler's disease. It is often seen in middle-aged patients in the fourth to fifth decade of life in contrast to Kohler's, which is seen in the pediatric population, and Muller-Weiss syndrome patients present with chronic midfoot pain. The pain is generated by abnormal motion at the talonavicular and naviculocuneiform joints. This diagnosis must be differentiated from a navicular stress fracture, which also can present with chronic midfoot pain. The radiographs of navicular osteonecrosis show a narrow navicular bone with lateral sclerosis. There can also be a splitting of the navicular, known as the double navicular sign. Initial treatment consists of semi-rigid insoles with surgical management consisting of talonavicular and naviculocuneiform fusion being reserved for patients who fail conservative management. Moving on to the next question, a 45-year-old man presents to the orthopedic clinic complaining of several weeks of increasing midfoot pain during and after his daily run that he recently resumed after a two-week vacation. He is found on imaging to have a navicular stress fracture. What is the most appropriate initial immobilization and weight-bearing status for this patient? And the choices are 1. Hard sole shoe and non-weight-bearing, 2. Hard sole shoe and partial weight-bearing, 3. Walking boot and partial weight-bearing, 4. Short leg cast and non-weight-bearing, and 5. Short leg cast and partial weight-bearing. The correct answer to this question is 4. Short leg cast and non-weight-bearing. So navicular stress fractures are recommended to be treated with a period of non-weight-bearing and immobilization with either short leg cast or at times a walking boot. To quickly review, Navicular stress fractures are often an overuse type injury in which there is no significant uni or bicortical fracture line on radiographs, but rather high signal intensity in the navicular bone on MRI, indicating inflammation in the acute setting. Most important is a 6-8 to week period of immobilization and no weight bearing, usually accomplished with a cast or walking boot and crutches. Moving on to the next question. A 21-year-old recreational baseball player presents for evaluation of anterior ankle pain that has been persistent for the past 6 to 8 weeks. On physical exam, he is tender over the midfoot, but has full strength with dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, and inversion. While hard to discern on the AP radiograph, you are able to visualize a step-off at the dorsal and proximal aspect of the navicular. Some mild comminution is seen as well. Representative sequences from a T2-weighted MRI of the foot show a minimally displaced injury that is appreciated through the axial and sagittal sequences. What is the most appropriate treatment for this patient? And the choices are 1. Observation alone, 2. Cortisone injection into the anterior tibial tendon sheath, 
three, partial weight-bearing in the boot, four, non-weight-bearing in a cast for a planned six to eight weeks, and five, open reduction internal fixation of the fracture. The correct answer to this question is four, non-weight-bearing in a cast for a planned six to eight weeks. So based on the clinical history and the imaging described, the patient has a navicular stress fracture of the foot. The most appropriate treatment for this patient is to place the patient into a non-weight-bearing cast with outpatient follow-up in six to eight weeks. To quickly review, tarsal navicular stress fractures are often the result of overuse, particularly while running on hard surfaces. They are common in baseball players, and patients often present with vague midfoot pain, swelling, and localized tenderness. Immobilization and non-weight-bearing can be used to treat most navicular stress fractures, even in high-level athletes. And moving on to the final question, what is the most common complication of a complete navicular fracture of the foot? And the choices are 1. Malunion, 2. Nonunion, 3. Infection, 4. Longitudinal arch instability, and 5. Neurovascular injury. The correct answer to this question is 2. Nonunion. So of the available answers, the most common complication associated with a navicular stress fracture is fracture nonunion. To quickly review once again, navicular stress fractures occur commonly in running athletes. Repetitive loads on the navicular bone can manifest as incomplete or complete fractures. The vast majority, approximately 83% of fractures, are incomplete at initial presentation, and those that are complete are often non-displaced. Non-union and delayed union are the two most common complications of both conservative and surgical treatment. That's all for this review about tarsal navicular fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.